Well, happy morning. On Tuesday, Dick White, who flies planes, he uh, had asked me, he said, hey, do you want to go? The seniors are driving the bus and they're going for the week to Sights and Sounds in Pennsylvania watching the great theater production. How many of you have been to Sights and Sounds before? Man, if you haven't, you got to go. I don't care which production it is, you got to go. And um, so this one was David, and he said, I'll fly you. We can go on Tuesday, watch it on Tuesday morning, and we'll come stay with the seniors and come back on Wednesday. I said, great. I said, how about I take one of my grandkids? He said, that'd be even better. So I took uh, Hudson. Where is Hudson? Hudson. (laughs) Hudson. So we had a great time, and... uh, I remember telling him, I said, Hudson, you, you want to know something that, because I've played sports all my life, and, and um, usually if I picked up a sport, I was halfway decent at it. And I said, you know what's tough about getting some years on you? I said, you just can't do the things you used to do, and you can tell people how good you were, but they don't believe you when they watch you. So anyway, Friday, all my grandkids found their way in the gym, and I'm like, I'll go in there for a few minutes, and I saw dodgeballs around, or kickballs that were laying around the gym, and I thought, okay, I'll play some home run derby with Hudson. I'll whoop that boy. <laughs> and uh, make a long story short, one of, the, one of the rules I came up with is if it goes off the wall, it's a grand slam, but if you catch it, you're out, you're done, you're over, I'm up. Well, I played, we played about a half hour, right? And I was in my mind thinking, I, I'm three minutes, I'm out of here. And he kicked one off, hit, sure enough, man, he took off, hit the wall, and I ran for it. And I'm telling you, how many of you have ever ruptured or torn an Achilles or, or your Achilles? Raise your hand, a couple of you. I'm telling you, I didn't stumble. I went from taken off to flat on my face. And uh, I laid there, uh, it seemed like a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was agonizing pain, and uh, one of my friends got me in. It was like 3, 3.15, 3.30 on Friday, and I called him because he runs offices with uh, sports medicine and all of that, and he just happened to get me in. So I have surgery on Tuesday. And uh, I tore, totally tore my Achilles. So just one more thing, you know. I was looking forward to doing some things this summer. And uh, just one of them, I'm supposed to be preaching in Mexico at a, you know, a pastor's conference in Mexico. And so that's at the end of June. And I just pray that I can still do that. So if you want to pray for me for something, that, that uh, would be one thing you can do. Hey, Vacation Bible School for all the kids, June 6th through the 10th, and uh, I want to encourage all of you parents to have your kids in Vacation Bible School. It'll be from 9.30 to noon each day. Get them registered, even today, June 6th through the 10th. And then I want to ask you to put one individual on, um, on your prayer list. We have had this hope that have come and ministered to us in music over and over and over again through the probably the last 20 years. And Dave... One of the guys, uh, his wife, on, in December, found out she had melanoma. It was stage four, and she passed away just this past week. They have a couple older kids, but some young kids as well. 
So just really pray for Dave. Daniel is her brother, and uh, I just, they're heavy on my heart today, so just, just pray for them if you would. Well, we're coming to the end of 1 John. I hope that you have been here with us through most of this study. If you haven't, we always have everything online. You can go back and listen to any sermon that's been preached here. And as we come to the end of 1 John today, John ends this little epistle on a very positive note. He talks about triumphant certainties. Triumphant certainties. And he uses the word know, K-N-O-W. He uses that word over and over again. You see, 1 John is a book of reality. 1 John is a book of certainty. It's a book of assurance. It's not assumptions. In fact, the word no, K-N-O-W, is used in this little epistle of five chapters. It is used 26 times. Think about it. 26 times John says, and we know, and we know, and you can know. We don't have to be in the dark about the most important topic in all of life. We don't have to live in the dark. We don't have to have a wondering about it. The subject of salvation and eternal life. So John comes to the end of this epistle, and he gives to us three triumphant certainties. And I want to again emphasize triumphant certainties to the Christian. I want to ask everybody to pay attention today very closely, because I believe that today is a crucial sermon No matter what age you are, if you're a teenager and you want to already checked out, can I ask you to check back in? If you're an adult and you've lived the Christian life for many, many years, can I ask you to tune in? Because John's epistle is so very, very important. And he comes to the end and he again gives us three certainties. Number one, the certainty of power. Verse 18, we know. That whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. As John is writing to Christians, he gives two areas that we have of God's power. First area of power that we have is in the area of purity. The area of purity. Now notice verse 18. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now that ought to get your attention. That ought to get your attention. How many of you would say, yes, I'm a child of God, I'm born again? Raise your hand real high. If you know you're saved, okay, put your hand down. How many of you, since you've been saved, have sinned? Raise your hand. Good. If you're not raising your hand, shame on you. You just sinned. The verse says, whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now listen carefully. John is not saying a Christian never commits an act of sin. How do we know that? Go back to 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. He says, if we say we've never, we're, we're not sinning or we don't sin, we're, we're lying. We're deceiving ourselves. 
So what in the world is this saying? He is saying that if we are born of God, we will not make a habit of sin. Now, if I were you and I was a new Christian, I would say that's not what it says, but it is. It actually is exactly what it is saying. It means and speaks of continual sin. Here's how we know that. Verse 18, do you see the word sinneth? The word sinneth, the whole New Testament, is written in the Greek language. The most important thing about the Greek language, if any of you have, Pastor Bob, you you took Greek, didn't you? Okay, Is, is knowing the tenses of that language. The tense here is present action. It means he will not continually be committing sin. When one is born again, the direction of his life changes. And so does the desire. That's why I say to you that if your desire is not to serve Jesus Christ as your Savior, I say again, are you sure you're saved? You say, Pastor, why do you harp on that kind of stuff? Because I love you. Because I care about you. Because I don't want anyone at First Baptist Church to figure, well, I think I'm saved, but you have no desire to serve the Lord, and you have habits of just sinning. John says, please listen, because you should not know you're saved if you are habitually sinning. But if you are a child of God, here's how you can know that you are. You're going to have a different desire. You're going to have with the power of God. God will give you a desire to be pure. He'll give you the ability to be pure. There's conviction over your sin. And when you sin and there's conviction over that sin, it's a good sign that you're saved. Christian, you do not have to live a defeated life. I guarantee you, as I have served and ministered for decades now, there are many of those that claim to know Christ, and yet they live defeated lives. They, are, they have accepted the fact that they just can't get victory. I'm telling you, that is not true. I don't care how long you've been in that say, uh, sin. I don't care how deep that sin is. You can get victory. Alexander the Great was riding up and down on his horse in the heat of battle. One of the soldiers, he caught him out of the corner of his eye, and he was going the opposite direction. So Alexander the Great went after him, and he stopped him, caught up to him, stopped him, and he said, Soldier, were you retreating? He said, Yes, sir. Alexander the Great said, What is your name? He said, Alexander. The general looked at him straight in the eye, and he said, Soldier, you change your direction, or you change your name. Hey, you know what? For a man to call himself a Christian, for a teenager or anyone else to call themselves a Christian and continually living, live in sin, that is to bring reproach on the name of Jesus Christ and reject the nature that supposedly you have as a child of God. Verse 18, this is a key phrase that everybody needs to understand. It says, but he 
that is begotten of God keepeth himself. Let me explain this verse, okay? The he that is begotten of God is Jesus Christ. Write that in the margin of your Bible, or if you're taking notes, put that down. That actually is Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here in this phrase, he that is begotten of God is actually referring to Jesus Christ, and the word himself actually is him. So read that once again. He that is begotten of God, Jesus, keepeth him. It is Jesus Christ that keeps us. It is Jesus Christ that keeps you. This shows our new power. As a child of God, it shows our new power. We don't have to uh, uh, have uh, a defeated life because we have the power of God to overcome sin, but Jesus Christ keeps us and Jesus Christ gives us power over that sin. John 17, verse 12, Jesus said, those that thou gavest me, I have kept and none of them is lost. Friend, those who have fallen into sin, listen to me. Those who have fallen into sin, do you know what Jesus does? You say, yeah, he gets mad at them. No, he doesn't. He prays for them. Listen, he loves them. And he desires to draw them back into fellowship with him. You know why? Because you are his possession. You belong to him. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12 says, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he, he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. By the way, Adrian Rogers gave an analogy. Without explaining anything, let me give you the analogy. Adrian Rogers said, you go out on a dark but starry, beautiful night, and you look up into the sky, and you see a million, billion stars out there. You look up there, and you see an amazing sight. And then all of a sudden, you see a shooting, falling star. And it captures everyone's attention. And that's what you notice, and that's what you see, and that's what you focus on. He said, please do not forget that there are still a million, billion stars that are hanging right where they have always been. What was his analogy? When you see a shining star, a godly person who falls into sin, remember there are a million others who are still hanging there, shining for Jesus Christ. You understand? You understand? Power to be pure. But he also goes on in verse 18 and he speaks of the power that we are given for protection. For the Bible says, and that wicked one toucheth him not. 
This past Monday, I had a busy day because I knew I was leaving Tuesday, and so I uh, was asked a couple weeks ago if one of my grand, other grandchildren had pet day. And that's where somebody brings their pet in and shows that pet off and they're there in that classroom. And so I took uh, my dog. Yes, his name is Prince. And he's a little poodle. I never thought I would ever have a poodle in my life. But somehow we ended up with a poodle and we've had our second one now. And uh, I took Prince on his leash to the school, took him into Reagan's classroom. And boy, that dog, I mean that dog, he hardly cared anything about the kids he's just sniffing all over the floor and everything else and we did I did the 15 minutes and I left and took that dog and walked him out on his leash got to my car put him in the driver's seat walked around to the put him in the passenger seat walked around <laughs> didn't matter which one was driving I can tell you that it's probably the same but I put him in the passenger seat I walked around to the driver's seat got in and he'd already snatched my breakfast bar Now I want to tell you, I got in the driver's seat, I looked at that dog, and I gave him a good talking to, I can assure you. And he knew exactly what I was saying. If you have a dog, you know exactly. If you have a cat, they don't know a thing. But if you have a dog, they know. (laughs) Totally joking. Some people, that really makes you mad. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But I got in, I talked to my dog, and uh, he knew exactly, he did know what I was talking about. Temptation was just too much for him. Trust me, I know this. I have assurance he is not born again. (laughs) I promise you that. (laughs) You know what? I know a whole lot of human beings that are about like my dog. As soon as temptation comes, they go right for it. Do you know what? God says you don't have to do that. If you're a child of God, he gives you power to stand against the temptation. First Peter tells us something, and I am convinced that a lot of Christians kind of hear the verse and don't really take it to heart. Peter says, the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Christian, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Hey, I am no match for the devil. And you aren't either. We are absolutely no match for Satan. Jesus Christ came in order that he would destroy the works of the devil. Now, oh, Satan may touch us, but he can't take hold of us. Put that down. He can touch us, but he cannot take hold of us. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, do not give place to the devil. Don't give him place. You want to know why God wants to guard you? You want to know why God wants to protect you? 
so that he can lead you beside his still waters. At Sights and Sounds, we watched the life of David. Man, that was amazing. If you've got a couple days and if you can get tickets, you ought to drive there just to watch it. I asked Hudson, what'd you get from it? I'll tell you what I got from it. God can take the simple and use the simple in amazing ways. I tell you what else I got from it. You can get stressed and busy and so occupied with life that the devil can come and put you in places you never dreamed you could be in the depths of sin. And as a child of God, you'll pay the consequences without fail. Doesn't matter how long you hide it, it will come out. But God forgives. God will take and he'll forgive like he did David and God will take and use a man like that again. And God allowed David to write the 23rd Psalm. And the words in that 23rd Psalm tell us that God prepares a table. Listen, he prepares a table before me, David said, in the presence, in the presence of mine enemies. A table. And God anoints my head with oil. And man, that oil runs down and my cup runneth over. I got a question for you. Somebody told me I should sit, sit in a stool with a table like Joy and I used to, so I'll just talk. So let me talk. Do you even want God's table? Do you desire God's oil? Do you want an overflowing cup from God? Some of you, your answer scares you because your answer is, not really. But a lot of you, you see, I do. Yeah, I want that. Then allow God to be your shepherd. Allow him to be your shepherd. David said in Psalm 23, verse 5, you prepare a table before me Where, Lord? Where is that table? In the presence of mine enemies. Right in the presence of mine enemies. I'll prepare this table. But, but, but someone else wants to come and sit at that table. He'll pull up a chair at your table. And he's really subtle and clever 
and has all kinds of charisma. And he pulls up a chair. And he'll try to sit down. Guess what? He actually wants to rob, kill, and destroy you. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus said so. In John chapter 10. He wants to rob you, kill you, and destroy you. He wants to strive to steal everything that God wants to give you and bless you. If the devil has a room, if the devil has a room in your heart, It's because you made a reservation. You invited him to sit at your table. John ends this epistle with the certainty that we have God's power. And then he goes into verse 19 with the certainty of our position. Verse 19, and we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies in wickedness. You know as well as I do that this world is divided into two camps, right? It's divided into two camps. First of all, there's the position of the saved. If you're a child of God, that's you, that's me. Someone may ask you, well, why do you think you have power to overcome Satan? And that's a good question. I mean, Satan, Brent, come on. How do you think you have power to overcome Satan? I'm telling you why. Because of my position. My position. I am of God. If you're a child of God, we are of God. We are born of God. Do you know what Paul said in Colossians 3.3? He said, we, listen, we are hid with Christ in God. We are hid with Christ in God. A number of weeks ago, I told you about the four uh, five guys that I went to Fort Lauderdale with at the end of my sophomore year of college, and, and I... Uh, I told you, I, some of them were big dudes. And one of the days, I don't know why, we went to Disney World. I, you know, I mean, some of you love Disney World. You'd go to Disney World every year if you could. For me, I've been to Disney World a few times. By five, six hours, I'm done. <laughs> and we were like that. We were college students. We spent the day there, and we did everything. And, I, you know, I was done. I was bored. And we got over to, I think it was Tom Sawyer Island. That used to be. And uh, we got in and we went through this cave. It was a cave. And I mean, you come out of the sunlight and as soon as you hit this cave, you can't see a thing. Nothing. Zip. 
And then your eyes adjust after a little bit and you can make your way through the cave. And all of a sudden, at the beginning of that cave, when your eyes are not adjusting and you can't see anything, there's some crevices, little hideaways. And we walked through that once and then we walked through it again. I said, hey, let's just camp out in that hideaway. There was a hideaway and a hideaway and right across... You ever notice how guys that, you know, I mean, guys that lift weights every single day and steroids and all the rest, you know, they love those. They hate the rides, but they sure like to show it off, right? I'm going to tell you what. When we got in those hideaways, we spent two hours in there. Two hours. Guys walking through there with their beauty queens, you know. Tough guys out there, but they're not so tough when they can't see anything and guys are flicking their ears and, you know, doing all the rest on their head. (laughs) They didn't know what to do. (laughs) It was fun. (laughs) They were defeated. But I'm telling you what. There's no reason for believers, listen, you'll get my point, there's no reason for believers to be defeated. Do you know why? Because we are hid with God in the hollow of his hand. The lost person, different story. There's the position of the saved, but then there's the position of the sinner. You see, the whole world lies in the domain of the wicked one. The whole world. Who is the wicked one, by the way? It's Satan. The wicked one is the devil. Remember that, you remember that popular song, if you've been saved a long, long time, probably even if you haven't, you've still heard it. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? You've heard that song, haven't you? He's got the whole world in his hands. But did you know in all reality... It's Satan that has the whole world in his hands. Stay with me. Say, man, that sounds like blasphemy, Pastor. No, stay with me. Read verse 19. And we know that we are of God, but the whole world lies in wickedness. It shouldn't surprise us in the world that this world is in the hands of the devil. That should not shock us, surprise us. As a matter of fact, when I read that verse, something inside of me says, so that is what's wrong with the world. Look at all the lust in the world today. Look at all the hatred, division, pain. Those poor families in Texas. Look at the sorrow, the trouble, the heartache that people go through. I'm telling you, friend, listen, this whole world is in the domain of the devil. It is in the domain of the devil. The whole world, I'm talking about the world's government, the world's financial the system, the world's educational system, the world's political system. It all lies in the domain of the devil. And and, and that can discourage me, but I want to tell you, it really doesn't. Doesn't discourage me. 
It simply confirms to me that the only hope this world has is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Second coming of Jesus Christ. This is a fallen, it's a vicious, it is a world that lieth in wickedness and it's not going to get any better because the devil, the prince of the world, is in charge right now. And that's the reason, listen, that's the reason that Christians who refuse to conform to this world are going to have problems. Teenagers, you take your stand for Jesus Christ. College students, you say, I'm going to take my stand for Jesus Christ. You're going to have problems along the way. Adults, you take your stand for Jesus Christ at the workplace, and you're not going to fit in with the rest of them, and that means you're going to have some problems. It's just the way it is. I was listening to a guy who played rugby, and uh, Steve, you'll understand this, played rugby. Guys that are usually around what, 220 to 320? I don't know, big, rough. No helmets, by the way, no pads. They get out there and just turn it on TV if you can find it just for a little while and watch them. I mean, the roughest of the rough. You know what he said, though? He said, yeah, we're in the mud. Yeah, we're getting trounced. Yes, we break our noses, but we signed up for it. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're called to be a light in a very dark place. You still live in the world, but you're called out of the world. We are not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformed. The position of the saved and the position of the sinner are so drastically opposed to one another. And when you are a child of God and you try to blend in with the world, you're going to be torn apart. Because you don't belong over there. One last thing. The certainty of perception. Just write that down. The certainty of perception. What do I mean by that? The certainty of wisdom. Notice verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us, here we are, an understanding. What's he mean by that? That we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, as a Christian, you've been given spiritual insight. If you're really a child of God, you've been given spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom, perception. John says there's the source of that perception. How do we have it? All of a sudden, I pray, receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. How how does the light go on for me? Because the source is the Son of God. The source is Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The Son of God is come. 
Friend, a person can have more degrees than a thermometer, but not very much understanding on spiritual things. I've met them, so have you. They're brilliant, they're intelligent about a lot of subjects, but if they're not saved, all of a sudden, when it comes to the Word of God and the God of the Word, they're like, they don't understand it. They don't get it. They're unable to understand the spiritual things of the Word of God. That's why Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, but the natural man, the lost man, the unsaved man, he, he said he receives not the things of the Spirit of God. In fact, they're foolishness unto him. He can't know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Friend, the source of spiritual perception, the source of spiritual wisdom is Jesus. It's Jesus. He has given us understanding. He's given it to us. But then there's the source. There's the source, that's Jesus. But then there's the subject of perception. What is the subject? What does God give us perception to know and to understand and to grasp and to grab hold of and to keep in our heart and remember and take through our life? that we may know him who's true. You see that? That we might know him who's true. You see, all throughout, if you've been in this study with me, all throughout John's epistle, he has expounded on a a topic, a lot of different things, but he keeps going back and back and back and back and back and back to the uh, very subject that Jesus Christ is the true God. He's the true God. John began his epistle talking about truth and eternal life. He now ends this epistle by talking about truth and eternal life. He talked about a lot of things in between. And now he comes to the last verse of his epistle. The very last verse. Verse 21. It seems odd to me until I study it. He says, hey, little children, who are they? Christians, God's people. Hey, little children, keep yourselves from idols That's how he ends the book. Keep yourselves from idols. It, it, doesn't it almost seem off subject? It's like he's talking about the true God and he's talking about these things and it's talking about wisdom and then all of a sudden the last verse, keep yourself from idols. When we closely examine this, we see what is closely connected. He just said, reality, reality is in Jesus Christ. Therefore, because Jesus is real, he's true, he's the only God, watch yourselves, he says. Guard yourselves 
Keep yourself from what is not real. Keep yourselves from idols. What's an idol? It's anything that is a substitute for God. Anything. Anything that is a substitute from God. We talked about the table David talked about in Psalm 23 that God prepares for us. But Satan, as I said, comes up to that table and he sits down, he lies to us, he deceives us, and he tells us, hey, hey, Brent, there's a better table. There's a different table. This table over here is better. This table... Better at this table of pleasure. It's better at the table of another marriage. It's better at the table of money. You ever, you ever go on a cruise? You ever go to a resort? You're sitting there at the pool, you're watching them. The loudest, the biggest laughter. They're always, right? And they are having so much fun. You ever listen to them when they get behind closed doors? You ever listen to them talk about their marriage? You ever look at their kids and listen to their kids talk about what it's like at home? But Satan says, no, that's, that's the table. Come on over to this table. He does not care what idol you pick up. Just pick one up. Friend, we can't keep him from prowling around us, but we can keep him from camping out. We don't win the battle by fighting against the lies of Satan, but rather we fight the battle by filling our mind with the truth of God's Word. You can make your job an idol. I've seen a whole lot of guys do that. You can make money an idol. I've seen a whole lot of people do that. You can make your talents an idol. You can make your clothes an idol. You can make your looks an idol. You can make your car an idol, your house an idol your yard an idol, your family an idol, your habits an idol, 
anything that comes before God becomes an idol. And when it comes to the end and you call on your idol, there'll be no reply. Because those idols are not real. They're not real. As I said, Satan has all kinds of idols out there. And guess what? He offers them for free. Free. So John, five chapters. It's a short book, short epistle. Still with me? John, who said in first chapter, he said, I know him. John, who said, I've watched him. John, who said, I've touched him and handled him and hugged him. John, he said, I know he's the light. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know he's the truth. I know. So, so he says, because I know, don't love the world. Because that world's going to pass away, chapter 2. He said, I know him, so abide in him. Because if you abide in him, he won't be ashamed of you when he comes again. He said, I know him, and and I know him. And I'm telling you, John says, uh, you have access. You can go right before the throne, the throne room of God, and pray in the will of God. I, I know that to be true. He said, if you believe in this one true Jesus, you can know that you have eternal life. And then he says, so receive him. Serve him. Look for him. Put him first. Christian, Stay away from idols and have the assurance of abundant life right here on this earth. And have assurance of eternal life. Guard your heart. Does that not make sense to you? Guard your heart. 1994, Northwest Airlines did something that I've never heard of before. They invited people to purchase what they called mystery fare tickets. 59 bucks. Round trip. You could purchase this mystery fare ticket for $59, and when you got to the terminal, you would find out where you were going. That sounds like something I'd be interested in doing. One weekend, 59 bucks. 1,500 people did it. They showed up at the airport. They showed up at the terminal. They found out where they were going. And needless to say, some of them were happy and some of them were not. One guy was hoping by some chance he'd be going to New Orleans, but he found out he was going to Minneapolis. (laughs) 
He went through the airport terminal yelling out, I have one ticket to the Mall of America. I'll trade it for anything. Mystery fare tickets. That'd be interesting for a weekend. But normally normally the last thing you want is a ticket to a mystery destination. One mystery ticket I guarantee you and promise you, you do not want to gamble on. The mystery ticket on the day of your death. You don't want to face eternity uncertain, do you? You don't want to face your destiny of eternal life wondering whether you are going to heaven So John wrote five chapters so that we don't have to wonder. But we can know. Can you believe that? That we can know. Can I have everybody look at me? Don't you want to be certain that you are certain. Can't imagine sitting in a service like this one and sitting in my seat and wondering, I, I, I'm not sure getting up and walking out those doors getting in my car trying to erase it from my mind and to go on with life not knowing that I'm saved I also understand how it would be somewhat easy for a child of God to go through life and get away from God. I can see how that could happen. But I also know that that's the last thing I want to do with my life. If you are a child of God, don't you agree with me that the least we can do is serve Jesus? When I was young, I thought, no, no way. Live some type of a boring life. Let me me ask you a question. If it's so boring, why don't all of us go back? to the life we had. Jesus said, if you serve me, I'll give you abundant life on this earth. And 
And so as I come to the end of preaching on this, I just ask you to make some decisions. Number one, you make the decision. You say yes or no. Are you a child of God? Yes or no? And if your answer is no, man, we can show you how to be saved. Jesus said, all you got to do is receive me into your life. That's it. I've already paid the fare. Jesus said, receive me. Number two, if you're a child of God, you need today to say yes or no about whether today you're going to focus on Jesus and serve him or say no. Nope, not doing it. I'm making myself the idol of my life. Got one life to live and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus said, what a fool. What a fool. That's what Jesus calls you. John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life. So Christian... Jesus? Yes or no? Let's bow our heads. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed today. First question I have for you. Are you a child of God? Do you know? Are you certain? Jesus Christ loves you, friend. He died for you. He longs to save you. You may be here today or you may be watching online and you've never opened your heart and trusted Jesus as your Savior. I'm here to tell you a couple simple things. Number one, you're a sinner. You know that and so do I. I know I'm a sinner. Number two, our sin will not allow us to get to heaven. Number three, but Jesus died for you on a cross. to pay the penalty of your sin. And number four, if you'll invite him in to save you, he will. So today I want to lead you in that prayer. That prayer, if you'll pray it in your own words, Christ will save you today. Here's the prayer. Just pray this, Lord God in heaven, I know that I'm a sinner. 
And I know there's nothing that I can do to earn my way to heaven. But I believe you love me, Lord. Enough to give your son to die on a cross for me. So, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you today, come into my life. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. 